Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our Sunday service today. We also want to welcome everyone joining us through the internet and through other devices they may be watching us on. <laughs> this is an age of devices, as opposed to divisiveness. So our topic this week is a beautiful one. Oh, I should introduce us. My name is Nayaswami Devi, and this is Nayaswami Jyotish. And we're very happy to be with you this morning. So our topic this week is the mystery of Avatara, or divine incarnation. This is from Rays of the One Light by Swami Kriyananda, weekly commentaries comparing the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. The Bhagavad Gita in the fourth chapter states, as we saw last week, O Bharata, whenever virtue declines and vice predominates, I incarnate on earth. Taking visible form, I come to destroy evil and reestablish virtue. What is the mystery of this divine manifestation? Great avatars such as Krishna and Jesus Christ are born as babies, even as we all are. They take human form and go through normal human experiences as they grow from childhood to adulthood. They eat, they play, they may seem to suffer sickness and disappointment like the rest of us. In what way are they different from other human beings? The important thing to understand is that even as they are like us, so are we also like them. Their realization can be ours too. They come on earth to show us our own divine potential. The difference lies not in the manner of their manifestation on earth, but in the consciousness with which they are born. All things are condensations, so to speak, of the cosmic vibration, Om, described by St. John's Gospel as the Word. Most human beings, however, are unconscious of their divine origin. The avatars, on the other hand, come consciously as manifestations of that divine reality. As the Gospel says in the first chapter, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Om, Om, Om. Good morning, everyone. <clears throat> I'll begin with a reading from Whispers from Eternity. These are beautiful, really beautiful prayer demands uh, that Yogananda wrote 
And it's almost as if he took every human emotion or condition or whimsy or delusion and he wrote a prayer demand to straighten us out <laughs> and show us how to relate in a higher way. So I'm going to read one, actually one of my favorites this morning, the demand for the realization of God's presence. Please close your eyes and feel that this is your own heart and soul making this demand. And Master has just put the words to it. O Divine Father, Thou art just behind my prayer. Why dost Thou seem so far away? Thou dost tremble in my feelings. Thy presence glimmers through the veil of my thoughts. Yet dost Thou seem so far away. Father, come. Remove Thy veil. Come, Father. Come. Hear the voice of my prayers. I want to know thee, to talk to thee, to hear thee speak to me. I want to pray to thee and know that thou dost hear my prayer. Show me the way that leads to thee. Isn't that a beautiful prayer? So the mystery of the avatar is, it's a very deep, and very interesting subject. Um, you know, avatar has come into the common parlance in at least the West, probably all over the world now, but not in, I think, the way that God really meant it to be, you know. So it's much better to try to become an avatar than to watch the avatar, you know, the movie and uh, the video games, the parlance in video games of it is, um, does a certain misjustice to the concept. But what is the avatar? Swamiji touched on it in the reading, but Master put it in a very interesting way. First of all, we have to understand that the avatar in essence is just like us. That means Jesus is just like us. Master is just like us. Krishna is just like us. They had to go through the same struggles that we're going through, the same. They were at that point at one time where they couldn't hear God's voice. They couldn't feel his presence. They couldn't hear him speak to them. They didn't know for sure whether he had answered their prayer or not because there was a veil of delusion between their consciousness and the infinite just as there is a veil of delusion between our consciousness and the infinite. In fact, Master had a beautiful way of describing the process. He said that in essence what we are is the soul. That's an individualized spark of God's consciousness. And so is Jesus, and so is Babaji, and so is Krishna and Master, and so is everyone. So everyone comes into manifestation as that individualized spark of God. 
Then Master said, but maya or delusion puts a veil over that soul so that it is, it can't clearly see what its essence is. It can't see its reflection in God. And I love the way Master put it. He said, first through effort, the soul pokes a little hole in that veil. And then through more effort, it begins to tear the veil apart. And then finally, through supreme effort, it rips the veil and emerges out of that. It reminds me of the story, some of you may have heard this, but it's very beautiful and instructive. So, so that poking of the hole and tearing it a little bit and finally ripping it apart, all of that requires effort. All of that requires some struggle. And so there must be, in that struggle, there must be some reason for it. There must be some benefit for it. Which brings me to the story, which some of you may have heard, but others haven't. And it's a beautiful image. There was a family with a couple of young children. And they found two chrysalises that uh, were, you know, the caterpillars uh, in the fall. And they weave a, a, a silk cocoon around themselves. And then in the spring, they have to emerge from that. And so they had found these two cocoons, and they were carefully watching it. One day they saw one of them begin to wiggle a little bit, and they could see that the little caterpillar or the little uh, now uh, proto-butterfly uh, was chewing a little hole in the top of that cocoon. And it managed, like poking the, through the veil, and it managed with effort then to open that hole a little bit more. And then it began to squeeze out of that. And it took them a long time, took it a long time, to squeeze itself through that little hole. And finally, it emerged exhausted and kind of crawled up on a branch. And gradually, its wings began to open. And, and there it was in the form of a butterfly. And then they saw the second one begin to wiggle. And feeling compassionate for all the struggle that the first one had gone through, they took a little knife and carefully cut off the top so that the little uh, butterfly didn't have to have that struggle. And it emerged quite easily, went up on the branch, its wings never opened, and it soon died. And what happened is they found out later is that that process of struggling through the little hole squeezed the fluid out of the wings and out of the body. And then when the, the butterfly emerged, having that fluid squeezed out, its wings were able to open and it was able to become a butterfly. And so we, let's face it, we need some of that fluid squeezed out of us. <laughs> And so there seems to be this struggle that we have to go through in order to emerge. Well, the avatars are just like us. They were caterpillars. Literally, at some point, they probably were caterpillars. 
Master said that he could remember back all the way to the point where he was in the mineral form. He said he could remember when he was a diamond. I have always felt that I might have been in that same vein, but I was still a chunk of coal over there, <laughs> you know. But, but nonetheless, Master said that he could remember back through his incarnations when he was a diamond. Then the soul goes through this gradual evolutionary process of awakening, and probably we were all caterpillars, and we all went through that little process of chewing our way out of the cocoon that we ourselves had woven. And so that delusion that we ourselves weave according to, you know, the process of, of acting with a little bit of uh, ignorance or a lot of ignorance, gradually we, we weave a web or weave these veils around us. But we can't blame ourselves as separate from God because everything is God. He created Maya in this way. He created delusion in this way. So coming back to the avatar, the avatar has finally gone through the process of tearing apart those veils and realizing the unity with God. And that process itself has a certain uniform aspect to it. That's why in the Bible, Christ says, I am the only begotten Son of God. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And that has been misunderstood by generations of, Master called it churchianity, not Christianity. It's been misunderstood by generations of churchianity saying that Jesus was talking about himself his body personality as the only begotten child of God, but he was talking about his consciousness, the Christ consciousness. Master said that in the Bible, Jesus, when he refers to himself as the Christ, that's different from referring to himself as Jesus, as the avatar. The Christ, the Christ consciousness, in India, it's called Katusta Chaitanya, is the consciousness of the aspect of God, the creator, in every particle of creation. Every atom, every subatomic particle, everything has at its very center the fact that it was created from God's consciousness. And so, the realization of God in every particle of matter is the Christ consciousness because then the, the consciousness of the soul expands from thinking of itself as one individual to knowing itself as everything. And Master actually said, I'm happy that they call it Christianity and not Jesusianity or Jesusism because it because the concept of Christ is that concept of, of that consciousness of the presence of God in everything. So the soul has to begin to 
poke a hole in the veil of delusion, open that and open it further until finally it realizes itself as that essence of creation, as that essence of spirit that is universally present in all of creation. And then we go through, see, you and I, when we think of ourselves, we think of ourselves in terms of the form that we have, the body that we have. Swami Kriyananda said the bundle of self-definitions. I'm a man, I'm a woman, I'm this age, I'm that age, I'm American, I'm uh, uh, born in India, I, all of those things, my job, and all of those bundles of self-definitions. But what do those bundles of self-definitions do? Your bundle of self-definitions are different from my bundle of self-definitions. And so those bundles separate us one from another. In fact, we are a bundle of self-definitions, but we aren't our bundle of self-definitions. We're everything because God has become everything. So our bundle of self-definitions should be infinite, but out of that we pick only those that we resonate with and think of ourselves as that. So we have to break our bundle to become once again united with all that is, the essence of God or spirit in all that is. So the avatar has gone through that process and come out the other side. So, so G, the only difference really between Krishna and Jesus and Master is that they have realized themselves as that and then they've gone a step further. They've also, Master said, that after the realization of yourself as Christ consciousness, after you go into the state of Nirbhakalpa Samadhi, you still have trailed along behind you like a tail all of those incarnations that you didn't realize that you were that. And he said that before you're completely free, you have to go back through all of those incarnations to understand that it was only God who was acting in that form. So I guess we have to go back to that point where we were the caterpillar and realize that we weren't the caterpillar. It was only God playing the part of the caterpillar or playing the part of us playing the part of the caterpillar. <laughs> and right now, God is playing the part of you, playing the part of you with your bundle of self-definitions def and also for me. And so we have to go back through all that kind of tale of memory that we pull with us and we have to free ourselves from all of the karma of that or all of the um, delusion of that we weren't everything in the universe. And so once we're done with that, and Master said that sometimes, a, you know, someone who's already in Nirbhakalpa Samadhi and in that process of complete completely freeing themselves. Master said that we can incarnate in more than one body in order to handle that. And so gradually we free ourselves completely from that. See that trail of past memory 
even though we don't have any desires, that trail of past memory will still cause us to incarnate. And in fact, Master said that many great saints don't completely free themselves because they want to incarnate. Strange from our point of view to want that, to come back into this bundle of trials and difficulties and ups and downs, but they do it because they want to act as God's agents coming into this world. Remember in the reading that they want to take on a human form so that they can model for us how to free ourselves from delusion. Now God could come in in any form that he wanted. He could come in, the avatar could come in in a burst of glory coming out of a bubble and be uh, a, as giant as a skyscraper and have golden wings. But would you and I relate to that? No. We'd say, well, that's completely different. I've got my struggles and I'm, I'm, I don't have the golden wings. And so, so it would form an excuse for us not to make the effort to break through that veil of, of delusion. So the avatar, com being completely free in consciousness, comes in to act the part of being just like us. And they have usually a beautiful drama about them. So this is kind of what the, what the descent of the avatar is. But what is the purpose for all that? Well, the purpose for all that is, as I said, they are modeling for us how we should behave, how we should think, how we should whisper our prayers to God. And so because from their point of freedom, they can help model for us the right consciousness, the right prayer, but they look enough like us and act enough like us and go through the same kinds of dramas as us that we can relate to them. So Master had to go through the drama of immigration, through the drama of getting a passport, through the drama of coming to this country with $500 in his pocket and not a single friend, of going through the struggles. And we can say, well, yes, but he was a master, so he didn't really have to struggle. Master said that that's not true. That if, if it's true on one sense, he said to Swami that uh, being a master at that level, you know everything. You're connected to everything and you have all knowledge. So it's like watching a movie for the second time. But he said, it's no fun just to sit there and say to the person sitting next to you, you know, now, now he's going to have a car crash, but he isn't really going to get hurt in that car crash, you know. He said, you put that memory of that movie in the background, so you go through it. But he said, the avatars go through the trials. Their bodies do get sick. They do have opposition. They do have to struggle. They do have to fight against the pulse of delusion in order to model for all of us that this is the way 
to freedom. And so they go through that. But each avatar comes, <clears throat> as it said in the Bhagavad Gita, when evil predominates and goodness is in the descent, I incarnate in order to drive out evil and to bring up the, the uh, righteousness. And so each, each avatar comes with a world mission. And so Master came with a particular world mission. The whole group of our Masters is a group of avatars that have incarnated from time to time especially around the time of the change of the yugas, the change of the ages. And so the pairing of Master and Babaji has been there before. In an earlier lifetime, it was Krishna and Arjuna, and they were paired, and they were preparing mankind at that time. That was in descending Dwapara Yuga, and they were preparing the consciousness of mankind to get ready for going into Kali Yuga. And then in this age, we're coming out of Kali Yuga, and they're preparing mankind as a whole for the proper way to relate to the world and relate to God in Dwapara Yuga. And that's why they've come. But if you uh, study the epics in India at all, it's not only that it was Babaji and, uh, I mean, uh, Krishna and Arjuna. Before that, it was Nara and Narayan, and uh, Naran, Nara and Narya. And so the same grouping of free souls have come again and again and again. So now let's look at. What did Master say the purpose of this incarnation was? Because if they come with a purpose, if they come to show us how to live in a particular age, if they come in order to model for us the proper behavior, the proper thoughts, what did Master say was his work in this age? Well, he wrote his aims and ideals and it's very interesting to look at them. The first thing he said was that he came in order to help people understand that they were an extension of God, that, that everything is an extension of God and that everyone is a, an extension of God. So everything is therefore a part of one unified spiritual consciousness. Secondly, he came, he said, to show that there are scientific techniques available that help us to realize that. And he brought those techniques. So this, in our age, this group of avatars have brought most specifically meditation and Kriya Yoga as the scientific techniques that work in this age. When we say this age, you know, that we, we think, oh, well, we're so lucky we're out of Kali Yuga and we're in Dwapara Yuga, but it's not all that advanced. This is the age of the merchant. 
That's the, the consciousness that, that governs this age. And so the particular problems that we're trying to overcome in this age, in the autobiography, it says that Babaji and Christ together were well aware of the restlessness and materialism that would be the plagues of this age. So the merchant consciousness is restless, materialistic, greedy. When I say materialistic, it means that the merchant consciousness thinks that fulfillment lies through the accumulation of material goods or through the stimulation of the senses through material means. And so that restlessness is the, one might say, the, the fabric on which the stitching of the weaving of our age is done. And so Master has come to show us if we want to, how to extract ourselves from, from that delusion. And so it's by realizing that God is real, that we are an extension of God. Now, if you realize that, you've already separated or differentiated yourself already from the mass delusion of this age because the vast majority of people don't really understand that or want to understand it. So we're, we're trying to poke a hole in that veil of delusion and trying to tear it apart. That's, that's what's going on. And so, so, you know, the materialism, then to have specific techniques that help in opening up that veil of delusion, including meditation and Kriya Yoga, as I said. Then Master had another mission and that was to show that this is all one world. You know, a few centuries ago in the heart of Kali Yuga, it wasn't thought. We were still in the days not only of not one world, but, but not even a country was united. We knew somebody, we were in Italy, Davy and I, and we had a friend there who was Italian. She was from the city of Parma. Her grandmother, in that one little town of Parma, there were seven different dialects. Her grandmother didn't speak Italian. She spoke one of the dialects in Parma. And those seven different dialects were mutually non-understandable, unintelligible by the others. They were as different as French and Spanish. And so her grandmother couldn't understand anybody that didn't speak her little dialect. And so we're in the process where those things are beginning to break down. But you don't need to do anything more than pick up a newspaper to realize that there are also forces that don't want that unification of consciousness to happen. And forces that want to keep things divided would be quite happy to go back to their own little dialect and say that only our dialect is right and everybody else is wrong. And, and I'm not only talking about American politics here. This is all around the world. It's, a, it's, it's one of the delusions 
of early Dwapara because it's a delusion of Kali Yuga. And so, so Master came in order to bring a unity to the world. And specifically, he came to bring a unity between the East and the West and also the original teachings of Krishna and the original teachings of Christ. And the reason that he did that was that he wanted to show that these great avatars didn't represent different consciousness. They represented only different expressions. And he even pointed out how similar the story of Jesus and Krishna, their birth. They were both born of high, noble parents. They were both under threat right after their birth of being annihilated. King Herod, if you remember, went around and killed all the children under three years old because he was afraid that he had heard that the king of the Jews had been born and he was afraid that he was going to lose his throne. Uh, Krishna's uncle uh, did the same thing, tried to annihilate the family. And in both cases, the children had to escape and they had to, to uh, survive against that, that pressure to annihilate them. What it really is, it's symbolic of worldly consciousness trying to annihilate spiritual consciousness. And that drama is not unique to Jesus and Krishna. That drama is going on inside our own consciousness, which is the story of the Bhagavad Gita, the fight between the qualities of good within us trying to overcome the downward pulling materialistic qualities. So coming back to the aims and ideals, Master tried to bring together the East and the West and the people of all races and nations. He tried to bring another aim and ideal is to show the underlying unity of science and religion. That they're both different approaches to bring, to, to try to find truth. He also came to show how the body could be well. A lot of his teachings show how to, how to have a healthy body. So he came, one of his aims and ideals is to show how to be physically healthy, to overcome the, the three plagues, one might say, how to be physically healthy, how to be mentally harmonious and integrated, and how to be free from spiritual delusion. And so in this age, he wasn't world rejecting, he, he didn't say, leave the world and go off to the Himalayas. He said, bring the Spirit of God into everything that's happening. So that was part of his aims and ideals. And we all like the second to the last one, which is to help in the establishment throughout the world of World Brotherhood colonies to show that plain living and high thinking lead to the highest happiness. That's been our life's work, is to help with that. It isn't really the colonies, the communities that matter. It's the bringing of the modeling of the consciousness of the avatar to bring that out of the clouds and into the practical world 
of everyday living where we have to live it in our families and our business and our chores and the way we relate to each other. We have to try to the best of our ability to model our lives after the avatar's life and to model our community as if it was made up of a whole bunch of avatars. And we're working at that, still have a ways to go, we're still parting those veils of delusion. But this is the reason for the descent of the avatar. They come again and again whenever evil is predominant and goodness, righteousness needs to be raised up. And they come to help us in the task, both globally as a great society and individually. And we are very, very, very lucky to be right next to the live wire of an avatar-like master because he came with enormous power and magnetism and clarity that is helping all of us evolve.